So, um, just as a brief outline, you can see it's kind of basic. I'm going to talk about the church. What is God's design for the church? I'm going to talk about community. What is God's design for community? And then we'll have some questions for reflection. But um, first I'm going to pray because I feel a little nervous. So bow your heads with me. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone in this room that's been led to this exact place right now. Um, you know everyone's stories completely, and you um, you love everyone in this room, God. And I pray that you can challenge us and convict us tonight as we talk about community. Um, yeah, I pray if, if there's anything that is unhelpful, it would fall on deaf ears and be forgotten. Um, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. And um, I pray that I would be reminded throughout this talk that these are my brothers and sisters in Christ and um, I don't have to be nervous. Um, in your name I pray, amen. All right, so. So this is my main point of the talk. Um, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a thesis statement. Um, so the church is the body of Christ and community is the functioning and flourishing of the body. And I'm gonna unpack this further. I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a main point statement. So I'll give you guys a second to write that down. All right, so um, I wanted you guys to just take a minute to jot down your answers to these questions. What do you think of when I say the church? How does this make you feel? What do you think when you hear the word community? What emotions come up? So just take a minute, write down some initial responses to this. what is the church? Um, so in 1 Peter, it talks about the church. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I love this verse because it affirms who we are and what our purpose is. Um, if you go to the next slide. I bolded out the words that stuck out to me. I saw chosen, royal, holy, a people for his own possession. And then now our new identity is as one of God's people. And these identifying words are words that describe you and I now, and it shows what being a part of God's body is known for. But in all honesty, when I see these words, 
And when I look in the mirror in the morning, I don't really believe it. And when I look at others created in the image of God, I don't really see them as this. And there's definitely a disconnect in how I feel and words like chosen, royal, and holy. And so um, the truth that needs to be repeated over and over again is that we, you and I, are covered um, by the blood of Christ. And we are now considered chosen, royal, holy, and set apart as God's people. And now considering these things, we are called to, we are called to live, to call attention to God, not ourselves. And this is because God chose us to be his people, not because we successfully won our way into belonging into his family. So as I'm saying all of this, does this resonate with you? When you hear these words, do you believe them? Do you truly live with others in a way that shows you believe it? I also really like the, um, the second part of the verse that says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we have one calling, to sing the praises of God, to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And when we show forth and sing God's praises, we just live as the body. So every day, mundane living as the body is witnessing, building up and discipling and worshiping. And that is our calling as the body. So um, I was looking into what exactly the church means and Taylor helped me out a little bit with this. <laughs> so the Greek term for church is ekklesia. I think I pronounced it right. Um, and the Greek lettering is up there, uh, thanks to Taylor. So just background information, this term is found in the New Testament and it is used to identify the community of believers in Jesus and it means assembly, congregation, or meeting. Um, and it's really interesting, in the New Testament, the um, common meeting places like a synagogue or a temple or a tabernacle was never described as a church. Church was only a term used to describe a Christian assembly. For example, in the Bible, when it says the Church of Galatia, it doesn't mean an actual building, it's talking about the group of people who are Christians in Galatia. So just even in this term, there's a unity, there's togetherness, and there's oneness in it. Um, and also just moving forward, when I mention the word church, you might initially think of the building, the institution, which is the local church. But I encourage you to allow your perspective to be transformed, um, to start viewing the church as a people group, um, which is united and communal. So the next question I want to address is what is God's design for the church? And I think it's really important to look into this because it is enchanting, intentional, and it brings the Lord glory. And I thought that on the next slide, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18 is a helpful passage from the Bible. This passage is titled, The Body with Many Members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Um, so on the next slide, kind of go into what it means to be united as the body. Um, the phrase is, the body is one, so it is with Christ. And this phrase of being one body is, um, I think, very beautiful and complex, uh, and it causes us to stand in awe of Christ. So because of what Christ has done, we receive grace in Christ. We are justified in Christ, and we are a new creation in Christ. And as the body, we admire Christ, make much of Christ, and we obediently follow him. And I think it's really important, too, in this to remember that he is committed to us and he is for each of us. So um, another theme of this verse is um, the idea of togetherness. Um, we experience all of this together. We are made new together. We are forgiven together, loved together, and living forever together. And I see that theme throughout the Bible when it talks about the body. Um, and it's clear that there's a joy to be found in experiencing the gospel together, um, just being alongside of each other, pursuing Christ together. Also, additionally in this passage, it talks about um, the individual parts. So it mentions the hand and the ear both being a part of the body but having different functions. And I took um, college anatomy and the biggest takeaway from that class was that if you look at the anatomy of the body, it's incredibly complex and there's many different systems such as the musculature system or the nervous system or the lymphatic system and they're all necessary to complete the body. And when they are all present and physiologically running correctly, that's when the body flourishes. So God has intentionally given each of us irreplaceable and interdependent functions. And this actually reminds me of the Enneagram personality types. We've talked a lot about that this summer. Because when I first found out I was a type four, I was disappointed because it seemed that it would be better to be a two or a nine. And I thought I would be more valued as a helper or a peacemaker. But then I saw how each personality, each member is truly needed, and each type brings a special strength to the table, and we'd be missing out if there wasn't the one's problem solving, or an eight's confident decisiveness, or the seven's optimistic spontaneity. So as Christians, we become a group of mutually ministering believers, and there's no exception to this. If you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus, and you're a part of his body. So um, on the next slide is a quote from Tim Keller from the book Center Church. And that was the book we read as the staff team this summer. And I thought it was really helpful. He said the body of Christ is literally a distinct ethnicity so changed by our encounter with Christ that we are more like one another than like others in our own particular races and societies. 
and I found this so interesting and freeing that we are more like one another. Our identity in Christ removes all their categories, cultural identifiers, and discriminatory boundaries that would precede our identity in Christ. And I love the line when he says, we're so changed by your encounter with Christ. Christ becomes the most attractive thing about us. He unites us to each other and tears down all other walls that previously separated us. And when Jesus sent his spirit to his people, it was not an individual promise. It is a promise that God will redeem and preserve his church, a people, a community. And this happens generation after generation. This is another quote that I liked. Um, it hits on the imperishable aspect of our new identity. It says the blood-bought Church of Christ is the new supernatural family. Single people, married people, old and young, rich and poor, every ethnicity finds brothers and sisters here. Marriage is temporary, parenting is temporary, but the church, the new family, is eternal. And I just think that's really hopeful and exciting. Okay, so the next question that I wanted to address is what does it look like being a part of the church? So as I was doing research into this, um, I was reading a few articles and there's this one article that was talking about the current state of the local church. Um, and this author basically explained that the church is kind of like attending a football game. So he used this analogy that um, the church is looking more and more like spectators the body, the church body coming on Sunday and observing, kind of like they're watching a football game, like a performance of a few people on the field. And um, essentially he was saying that the crowd of believers that fill our churches each Sunday must discover how necessary they are in building the body of Christ. And obviously all analogies fall short in some ways, and I don't think the football game analogy is true for every church, but I thought it was actually really interesting and I was thinking about how um, I think a proper analogy would possibly be like a feast. Um, and so many of you guys know we don't have a women's servant team this summer, so the team leaders have kind of had to step up and um, prepare the meals. And we've made some of the meals homemade this summer, and it's been a lot of work, but really fun. And I was thinking about how um, we spend the whole day preparing for it. Each person has been playing a part in that. John and Dan usually grill the meat, the other guys set up the tables and chop the vegetables, and the team leader girls prepare the pico. Um, probably Caitlin or Danny makes a playlist of summer music. <laughs> and then we all sit together at the picnic tables, and even the imagery of sitting communally and engaging in conversation with each other, talking about highs and lows. Um, I don't know, I think that's a more helpful analogy of what being a part of the church looks like, because the responsibility of the local church falls upon the members as a whole. It's not just a smaller group of people. And I think considering all of this, maybe it's important to spend time reflecting on your gifts and how the Holy Spirit could be leading you to bless others and fulfill God's mission on earth. Okay, so on the next slide, I repeated my main point again because now I'm transitioning into community. Um, so you probably already wrote this down. Okay, so what is community? 
this word is thrown around a lot, especially at Bethel, <laughs> um, probably at Northwestern too. People talk about how great of a community it is. Um, you hear a lot of tour guides walk by and talk about how Bethel's community is great. And I've just been thinking a lot about what does this mean? Um, so you can go to the passage, yeah. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 4, 14 through 16, and it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in this, um, in Ephesians 4, Paul is writing a letter to the Ephesians, and he's addressing how they will live life together now that Christ has united um, people from all nations to himself. And um, you can go to the next slide. I, let's, let's, I, so this is kind of nerdy, but I took an invertebrate biology class last semester, and this made me, specifically the verse that says we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. This made me think of, there's this type of lobster, it's called the spiny lobster, and they have a really interesting migration pattern. So they typically live in shallow waters, but during the winter they travel to deeper waters to um, avoid turbulent waves. And they will march for several miles, usually for a week, to get to the deeper waters. And they have this form that's called queuing, and the lobster basically attaches its antenna to the lobster head of it, and it forms like a conga line. So I'm gonna show like a brief video just for the imagery, and it's really cheesy and has terrible music, but I think it's effective at showing what it looks like. scared if I saw that because it is very long reaches lengths of miles I think but um, so basically I thought of this because it shows the incredible nature and imagery of being one body and not being thrown by the waves because when these lobsters are attached to each other they don't the turbulent waves don't affect them as much and then if a predator tries to attack them they'll circle up and scare them off so I thought that was really cool but um, God designs community um, to show evidence of the flourishing body. So community is created by the gospel and follows the imitation of Christ. Um, and in the previous verse, 
it was talking about how we're called to live in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and growing up in every way into him who is Christ. And these attributes, the way we interact with one another, is imitating how Jesus lived. Um, Christianity means community through Jesus and in Jesus Christ. So a lot of this slide comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book called Life Together. And he talks about how we belong to one another only through and in Jesus. So because of the gospel, um, we are freed to need others and to come to others only because of what Jesus has done. So a Christian needs others because of Jesus. A Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we have been united for eternity. And I think um, throughout his book, he really emphasized that Jesus is central to what community is. So I would even make the claim that without Jesus, it's not truly community. Okay, next slide. Um, also, if you guys haven't gotten all the stuff from the slides, I can definitely email it to you. Um, okay, so also community is a gift. So in the book, he talks about how because Jesus has bound us together in one body in Jesus Christ, we enter into this life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. And I think this is a really important posture to have. Um, because Christ is the mediator, there can be peace and reconciling between the family of believers, and we can live with one another, serve one another, and become one together. And even as I was personally reflecting on my community and friendships, um, the only way I could think to describe it is as a gift. When I think about how my friend Liz offers advice to me in a gracious way, and how um, my friend Ellie will leave me encouraging notes and knows um, how to encourage me when I'm feeling down. And even my roommates being there through like good and bad days um, and challenging me to step out in faith, trusting God in the unknown of life. Um, it's, it's truly a gift and I don't deserve that and I thank God for that. Um, so next, how do we interact with one another in community? So the gospel creates community. Because Jesus died for his enemies, this creates relationships of service rather than selfishness. I think um, when you think about human love and how it's different from spiritual love, you can see how human love desires the other person, their company, their answering love, but it does not serve them. But as believers, we know that we love others because we have first been loved. Second, it removes fear and pride. Um, because people in the church get along with people they probably wouldn't click with outside of the church. And you've probably experienced this at Project. You might be friends with someone that you did not expect that you'd ever be friends with or like the things that they like. Um, I even think about how I've become really good friends with um, the Bethel Camp Sarge group. And I honestly don't think I would have initially been friends with them, but I think they're so quirky, interesting, and kind, and I love them all a lot. Um, I think that's really cool, how you become friends with people that you didn't expect. And thirdly, there's a call to holiness. So as people living in loving bonds of mutual accountability, this means we can call out sin in one another and encourage each other in the fight. 
And then lastly, um, the gospel creates a human community radically different from any society around it. Um, so there's a book by Rosaria Butterfield, and she wrote, it's called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. I recommend it, it's really, really good. But she talks about how, um, what it looks like to have radically ordinary hospitality. And a quote from her book says, those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They know that they themselves are like meth addicts and sex trade workers. They take their own sin seriously, including the sin of selfishness and pride. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Um, I think truly living radically will cost you. It'll cost you money, time, probably heartache. But it brings together the mystery of the union with Christ and the fellowship of the saints to gather in close the stranger and the outcast and the chronically lonely. Um, in Galatians 6.2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I think it's important to distinguish that your community doesn't necessarily mean your best friends. Um, your community should be people that care about you, your relationship with Christ more than they care about hurting your feelings. <laughs> or even um, just people that will crawl towards the cross with you, that are willing to wound you if it means that you would see Jesus more. Um, and then in the next slide, uh, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. True community looks like honest conversations in, in a quiet corner of a coffee, coffee shop. It looks like pouring out everything, every sin to another person, um, and having them remind you of the gospel. And it looks like when you tell someone everything and their posture on, your, on their face doesn't change, um, especially when you share the last 10%, that's really hard to spill out. Um, and it looks like another person who knows your struggles and chooses to fight with you and ask the hard questions. So just in saying all this, moving forward, it's important to become disenchanted by your ideal community and be enchanted by Christ. Um, I think it's really easy to get caught up in what we really want our community to look like, but we have to let go of an idolized view of community because ultimately community is not what we're to aim for, Christ is. There's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. He talks about how um, becoming disillusioned with your ideal community. It says, innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian sat down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and to try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, 
so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves. We must let go of our dream community and acknowledge that we're surrounded by our brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't perfect but are saved by grace too. And I think this disillusionment, this letting go, begins with realizing that we ourselves are also sinful and undeserving. Um, and even as I think personally, it's also acknowledging that I don't love others well either all the time and I can't have unfair expectations for other people. And just as I'm closing too, I wanna to acknowledge that this idea of community can be hard for some people. And I know that there's probably hurt and pain um, just with friendships in general and um, people leaving when, they, when you thought they would stay. And I'm sorry about that. Um, that's really hard and I acknowledge that you're, and validate that your feelings are real. But I just wanted to end with, on the last slide, um, in this, the worst sides of community remind us that Christ alone is our sole provider, keeper, and source of satisfaction. And then on the flip side, the best sides of community point us to the image of Christ's relationship with us.